William Riley Burnett isn't quite as well known as other crime writers like Dashiell Hammett and Raymond Chandler, but the titles of several W.R. Burnett novels and films everybody knows. His career stretched from gangster novels and movies, which he went a long way to defining, through noir and beyond. According to Burnett, a good place to begin his story is in a flea bag in Chicago, when he was a 27-year-old hayseed from Ohio, who had written a hundred stories and five novels, not one of them published. On his first night in the big city, sleeping in that cheap hotel, he was jolted out of bed by a series of explosions across the street. Rival gangsters had been arguing over the rake in the parking garage over there. Things got heated, and they started throwing hand grenades. Pineapples, folks called them then. That was Chicago in 1928. Capone was king, Burnett later wrote. Corruption was rampant. Gangsters were shooting each other all over town. In fact, I heard one killing over the radio. It happened in a cafe while a dance band broadcast was in progress. Two shots came over distinctly. The music slurred to an abrupt stop. Then the air went dead. Intrigued, Burnett started hanging out with cops and hoods, taking notes. He ended up writing a gangster novel. He originally titled The Furies. The first New York publisher he sent it to rejected it. He gave it a new title and sent it off again. In 1929, it was published as Little Caesar. Along with Hammett, Burnett was fashioning a new class of crime novel as literate pulp. The crime syndicates were emerging, and the Depression was about to redraw the entire social landscape. The writing is very spare in a Hemingwayish way, yet vividly descriptive when it needs to be. His characters have names like Scabby and Limpy John and Killer Peppy, and they speak a gangster patois he'd heard on the streets, full of hard guys pumping lead out of gats and rods. It was all new to most readers at the time, but soon universally recognized. Little Caesar was an instant hit. So, of course, was the film adaptation. The movie was a huge box office success at a time when the Depression was cutting attendance figures by half, and it made Edward G. Robinson a star. Both the book and the movie had their share of critics, who expressed outrage that Burnett seemed to be sympathizing with and humanizing his hoodlum characters. Hollywood called and Burnett answered. For the next 40 years, he'd be there writing both novels and films, many of them successful, a few of them classics. There was The Beast of the City in 1932, with Walter Houston as an unscrupulously tough cop who would later be seen as a pre-echo of Dirty Harry. Howard Hughes called on Burnett to make some sense of more than a dozen draft screenplays for Scarface. Burnett compiled the best scenes into a master draft, then Ben Hecht applied the polish. The result was the last of the great pre-code gangster films. By his 1940 novel, High Sierra, both Burnett's writing and his tough guys 
had fully matured. Roy Earl in the book is more broken and melancholy than the Dillager-inspired outlaw Bogart plays in the film, more jittery and uncomfortable in the world after years in stir. He's not a thoroughly bad man, more of a bad luck stray like the dog Pard. He's weary and lonesome and sick, showing his age in his inability to control either his flashes of snarling violence or his fits of nostalgic longing. The newspapers call him Mad Dog, but Old Dog would be more fitting. The film adaptation came out in 1941, directed by Raoul Walsh, with a screenplay by Burnett and John Houston that's pretty faithful to the book, though they made the necessary Hollywood concessions. For instance, in the novel, Velma's not the innocent little hick she is in the film. She's damaged goods in more ways than the club foot. And it's explicit that Marie starts out as just a lay, as Roy says, then worms her way into his heart, like Pard does. Burnett and Houston tacked on the movie's big melodramatic climax as well. In the book, Roy makes sure Marie and Pard are well out of harm's way, then dies alone up in the mountains, shot by a gunman he never sees, taking his bullet quietly, almost wistfully. It probably wouldn't have made good cinema, but it's a more fitting end for him. Having helped to invent the modern gangster novel and picture, Burnett wrote some of the darkest, hardest, and ethically murkiest post-war noir, creating a world where it's nearly impossible to tell the good guys from the bad ones because most everybody's tainted or bent in some way. In The Asphalt Jungle, published in 1949, the world is so dirty and upside down that the supposedly upstanding citizens are actually worse than the bad guys. The cop and the lawyer are more crooked and sleazy than the hoods, and some of them are plenty sleazy. Burnett was still at it in the 60s, writing crime novels like The Cool Man, published in 1968. At a time when other pulp writers were cranking out endless knockoffs of James Bond or trying to get with the hippies and drugs, Burnett stuck with what he knew best. Like High Sierra and the Asphalt Jungle, The Cool Man is about a big heist gone wrong, leaving some of the crooks dead and the rest squabbling over the spoils. Now almost all his hard guys are anachronisms. Noir characters who've survived into the swinging 60s by wits, guile, or just brute force. They're old guys moving deliberately down crooked paths they know by rope, pursuing their agendas, money, revenge, self-preservation, sex, by instinct. When fate throws them curves, they take it, like Roy Earl would have, with a resigned shrug. By the end of the book, all their machinations have just sort of petered out. A few of them are dead, and the rest are stranded like sharks out of water. You have to wonder if Burnett was feeling a bit like that himself by this point. Burnett went on to co-write the screenplay for The Great Escape with James Clavel. It was his last Hollywood coup. He did some uncredited work 
on Ice Station Zebra and wrote episodes for several TV series, including Naked City, The Untouchables, and, of course, The Asphalt Jungle, as well as a lot of westerns. His eyesight failing, he didn't write much in the 1970s, but he was still able to bring his whole career full circle with his last book, Goodbye Chicago, set in 1928, the year he got there. It was published in 1981. He died the next year. <laughs>